Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, agency owner? If you're new here, I've got a free ebook on how to scale your business to multiple six and even seven figures by overcoming your dependency on referrals, doubling your profit per project, and removing yourself as the main bottleneck in your business. All you have to do is DM me the word gift on Facebook at Brent Weaver. That's facebook.com slash Brent Weaver. And I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in business and life. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver. And today we are hanging out with Ryan Dice. He is a best-selling author and founder of multiple companies, collectively employing hundreds of people around the globe, and one of the most dynamic speakers on marketing in the United States today. Ryan is currently the founder and CEO of digitalmarketer.com and also the founder and managing partner of rivalbrands.com and platter.com. Ryan is the creator of the customer value optimization methodology and has introduced and popularized many of the digital selling strategies that modern companies now take for granted. If you guys are a digital agency in today's day and age and you have not yet heard of Ryan Dice, you might be living under a rock. He also has uh, founded and grown the Traffic and Conversion Summit, the largest digital marketing conversion conference in North America, and I would argue in the world. Ryan, welcome to our program. Ryan, thanks so much for having me. So... Digital Marketer and all of your e-commerce brands has definitely grown into a pretty large business. Can you kind of, you know, and I introduced you a little bit around this, but can you just kind of paint us a picture of what Digital Marketer looks like today? Because there's a lot of different businesses, there's a lot of different brands, you guys are in a lot of different things. Kind of what is, what's the, the, the lay of the land these days? Sure. So Digital Marketer is one of the brands under kind of our broader holding group uh, called The Scalable Company. So, you know, it's funny. I've always started businesses, um, literally started my first business from uh, my college dorm room. But even prior to that, you know, I was always selling stuff door to door as a kid. You know, I had a buddy that made origami and I'd be like, we can sell that going door to door in our apartment building and stuff like that. So I really created a company originally called Idea Incubator, now called The Scalable Company, that really the purpose of the company was to launch other companies, kind of be able to pursue... Uh, and live out my own personal entrepreneurial ADHD. Digital Marketer was started really as a byproduct to all these other businesses. So in you know running and launching these different businesses going all the way back to 1999, uh, I was having to learn and figure out marketing, figure out, figure out the web. And so people would ask me if I wanted to speak at their conference and people would ask me if I did consulting. And you know, I, after saying no enough times, I finally said yes. And we started you know, producing products and content and things like that in and around what we were doing to build these other businesses. And uh, it was out of that that we wound up doing Traffic and Conversion Summit. And it was after the third Traffic and Conversion Summit that we launched Digital Marketer. So a lot of people don't realize Digital Marketer is new as of... you know, Digital Marketer is about 7 years old, right? So Traffic and Conversion Summit, we just our 10th Year. I've been doing this for over 20 years. So Digital Marketer is one of our brands. It is, uh, you know, as it stands today, it's certainly one of our larger holdings. But we really are a house of, of brands in the media publishing space. I actually just exited a significant group of companies. So right now, where, where the company sits is around, you know, 80 team members based primarily in Austin, Texas. We don't give revenue figures out because we're, you know, a private company, but, you know, definitely well 
you know, into the uh, eight figures uh, in, in terms of revenue. So that, that's kind of where things are today. Well, congrats on the success that you've had over uh, the last decade with those couple of brands and also on uh, starting your business from uh, your college dorm room. I'm sure a lot of our audience can maybe relate. Like I actually uh, started my web agency uh, in high school in my bedroom. We weren't quite yet in the dorm room, but kept it running in the dorm room. I'm sure a lot of our audience has started their business in similar places or maybe not, right? Maybe they were a, a late bloomer in terms of an entrepreneur for you, like your role within the business, I guess, you know, like how has your role changed over that period of time? Yeah, it, it's changed a lot. You know, in the, in the early days, I was the one creating everything. So in the early days, I was creating the product and then I was marketing and selling the product. And I'm sure like a lot of entrepreneurs, it, you do everything because you're the only one who's there. And then, you know, you slowly start hiring people to do the things that you don't like doing and that you aren't very good at. And then as the company grows, I'll, I'll tell you where, where I am right now is I'm, I'm now past the point where uh, we, I've hired people to do the things that I am good at. And that's the hardest thing in the world for an entrepreneur to do. It's one thing to hire people to do the things that you're not good at. It's one thing to hire people to do things that you don't like doing. It, it's one thing to even to hire people to do the things that you like doing, but you're maybe not that great at or that you acknowledge, hey, this is the highest and best use of my time one of the most difficult transitions that I had to make uh, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, as a leader was to hire people to do the stuff that really I am good. You know, you get to a point where you kind of start looking around and you go, what do I do now? You know, <laughs> what's my job? Um, it, it can really kind of rock your identity, you know, just a little bit, but, but yeah, that's where, where my role has changed is really shifting from the person who is in the trenches doing it, doing the stuff that I really take a lot of pride in uh, into being way more of a, of a guide uh, for, you know, for my company. Ryan, can you give me an example of something that you feel like you're good at that, uh, that you had to hire somebody in to replace you and, uh, maybe kind of how that, how that, that specific, uh, situation felt? Sure. Copywriting. I'm, I'm good at writing copy. I'm also good at, at just structuring offers and funnels and things like that. And when one of the last teams that I built was funny enough, a marketing team, cause I did the marketing. And so it's like the last you know, holdout, you're like, I'm not giving this up. <laughs> yeah. No, because I'm like, this is what I do, right? I, I, I primarily identify as a marketer. And so to give that up and to watch, you know, to, to watch campaigns go out and to watch emails get written with my name at the bottom of them, right? I'm like, that's not exactly how I would have said it. Or gosh, if I were writing that, I think I could have done it a little bit better. That's really, really, really hard you know, it's kind of a hard thing to cope with. It's a hard thing to let go of. But at some point, if you really want to scale and grow as a, as a business owner, if you want to scale and grow as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as a founder, uh, you have to let those things go. Uh, you kind of have to become a bit of a, a bit more of a passenger in your own, in your own business, or the business will always be constrained by you and your abilities and your, and, and your time. And what I found, thankfully, is, you know, you hire people that are better at you at some of these other areas. Even those moments where I'm like, oh, that's not exactly how I would have said it. I, I might have done it differently. The results were still good. You know, the results were still were still really, really, really strong, and the people got better and better and better. So it just it, it was it was a, a hit to the ego and it was a hit to the pride, but it certainly wasn't a hit to the bottom line. So in that moment when you're I don't know. Maybe you're getting on a plane and you check your email and you see like, oh, hey, Ryan Dice emailed me. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm Ryan Dice. Like, and you're reading that email that somebody else wrote and you do notice that something is maybe not exactly how you would have 
done it. I mean, do you find yourself kind of having to go meet with that team or do you kind of let go of the vine and, and, you know, say, Hey, let's just, you know, let them do their jobs. I mean, how, when do you decide to, to intervene or to uh, participate in those moments? Yeah. So I'll tell you what I did in the beginning and it was the absolute wrong thing to do is I, I saw it and I responded and I forwarded it, you know, to the person and to their boss. And I said, Oh, this isn't, you know, that this really isn't good enough. I would have said it this way, uh, in the future, please, you know, run all these things through me, you know, pass me before we click send. And what I did is I, I essentially emasculated the person who was, who was writing and, and, you know, their leader and kind of made them look bad. And, and kind of, I set the tone of the company of, hey, before you do anything that can't be undone, you know, make sure that you run it past Ryan. And that trickled down through just about every single, you know, square inch of the organization. And now what I had was a lot of people who were on the payroll and none of them were actually equipped to go and make the decision. So I got no benefit of their activities and all their actions, then I get frustrated with, you know, with them. And really it's, it, it's on me, it's my fault. So don't do that. But that is what I did in the beginning. Uh, now what I'll do in general is, you know, look, if it's not that big a deal and, and I just see it once, I'll let it go. Uh, because just because it isn't how I would do it doesn't make it wrong. That was a hard lesson for me to learn, by the way. Just because they didn't do it exactly the way that I would do it, that doesn't make it wrong. There's lots of ways to do things the right way. And so I just had to get over myself and get out, get over my own ego. And, and again, look at the results. But in the times where it was like, yeah, that was, that was off. Then I would go to the person and say, Hey, you know, I want to give you a little bit of a, a feedback on this just from a coaching. Cause I want to make sure that, you know, you can get better. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course. And, um, you know, it can be hard to receive critical feedback, especially when that critical feedback is coming from, you know, the founder of the company. But, um, you know, I tell anybody who's coming into a marketing role, you know, look, you know, marketing is something that I you know, that I do. And so I'm going to have some opinions and some, uh, and, and some areas of, of feedback. If, if, if you're the right person for this role, you're going to see that as a, as a positive and as an opportunity to learn. If you're threatened by that, then this probably isn't the right place for you. Uh, cause we all want to learn, you know, from, from each other. So that's, that's kind of how we've done it. But look, mistakes are going to happen. People are going to screw up. We've had people at this company make massive, massive mistakes. Our rule is, do you know the why? So can you justify why you did what you did? Uh, if you can, right? If, if you can be like, yeah, I mean, I made the call and, and this is why I thought, then, hey, we all learn from it. It's, I get upset when people were like, well, I just thought that that's how we've always done it. Or you know, they, they don't really have a good justification for it and, and there's no learnings from it. That's the only time when, I, you know, when, when there might be a corrective action. Hey, agency owners, are you currently building, managing, or optimizing WordPress websites and struggling to keep up or becoming the bottleneck? I'm excited to announce Unlimited WP, a white-label team that can help you do more with less. Whether you're building a WordPress website, doing updates, or maintenance and backups, you can assign all those tasks and more to Unlimited WP so you can free your time, make more money, and focus on what's most important. Get 25% off your first month by using the code DAS2020 at unlimitedwp.com to start today. Now let's get back to our interview. I love, I mean, I've got a few takeaways already just around asking for permission to give feedback. I think that's huge of going to somebody in, in more of a coaching environment versus a look what you did wrong. Don't ever do this again. And email, you know, CC me on all of the emails. I mean, I'm just even thinking about my own, you know, leadership mishaps, even in just like recent, recent history. I could just, I'm getting like flashbacks of like two weeks ago for certain situations or like, oh my gosh, I totally took away somebody's decision-making ability. Uh, so I'm sure a lot of our listeners can uh, relate a lot with that. 
And I think that ability to ask for uh, permission to give some feedback and also looking at the results, how, so, so if we are thinking about results and not just the how, what are some things that you've done to focus more of your energy on the results with your team and to create some space to, to more objectively look at like, did this get results? How did we do with this? And then, you know, what happens when you don't get results? I mean, you know, I mean, you mentioned the whole, like, know the why, which I think is great, great insight there, but how do you create an environment that is results oriented and how do you, um, hold people to account on results? Yeah. And you use the word, right. Hold people to account. We're talking about accountability. And so there are two things that we implemented that really made accountability work. Uh, and the first is, uh, an accountability chart. I'll give credit where credit's due. This was learned this in the book, uh, Traction uh, by Gina Wickman. A uh, really great book for entrepreneurial leaders. I would encourage everybody to read it. And the idea behind an accountability chart is you make a, you know, most people are familiar with an org chart. An org chart is good. It talks about kind of who reports to who. But the addition to an accountability chart is you add three to five bullet points that say this role is uniquely responsible for these three to five things. Right. And you make it crystal clear to who these people are, to everybody who's on the team, right? These are the three to five things that you are uniquely responsible for. So if somebody's in accounting, right? They are uniquely responsible for ensuring that, you know, bills are paid on time, that, that the books are closed out, uh, in a, you know, in a, in, in a timely and, you know, correct and accurate manner, right? Most jobs, I would venture to say every job, including mine, you could distill that job down into three to five bullet points. Now, most companies don't have that. What they have is a job description that's really kind of based on, you know, the job ad that you ran, right? So it's not actually, it doesn't actually speak to the very specific tactical things that somebody is responsible for. So that accountability chart, making sure everybody's got three to five bullet points where it's like you are uniquely responsible for these three to five things. So there's not a question about, you know, well, that's not my job. Or, you know, who's responsible for this? Like you can go and look in the accountability chart and say, this is the person who's responsible for it. So you must have that because there needs to be clarity at all levels of the organization in and around who does what. The second thing is a scorecard, right? Having a scorecard where, you know, you say as a company, these are the key metrics that, you know, we are going to say, you know, these are the kind of, again, the, the, three to five metrics per department that we're tracking. Uh, and we're going to decide ahead of time, this is our target and, and we're tracking actual. And so if the actual is pacing behind the target, then we know we're missing. And so then you can go to the accountability chart and say, okay, who's responsible for doing the thing that ensures that, that we aren't missing, right? And now you can go to that person and you can hold them accountable. Now you asked the next, the next question that you asked is a good one. How do you do that in a way that is, that's fair? How do you do that in a way that that's responsible? And so the way that, that we do it here is we're looking at the numbers. We've got the metrics. Everybody agrees. This is what good is. And getting agreement on what good is, is so important as a leader. But I'd say nothing will be more devastating to your team than for them to believe they're doing a, a phenomenal job. But for you to be like, yeah, no, that's not good enough. So you've got to get crystal clarity between what is good, what is bad. And that's where having these, these metrics and these KPIs that everybody agrees to and that everybody agrees to what those, uh, to what those targets are. That's, that's essential. And then who does what? So we've got those two things. But now what do you do when something is wrong? Because when everything's green, when everything's good, then you don't have an issue. It's 
okay, we're missing here. Now, we know that we're missing and we know, you know, the person or persons who are uniquely responsible for ensuring that we don't miss. Now, when you go to them, how do you make sure that you're approaching them in a fair manner? Uh, the way that I, that I do it is I say, I, I always assume that it's my fault because as a leader, it is, okay? As a leader, it is always your fault. Either you truly did something wrong, you truly did something flawed, you did let your team down, or you created an environment or failed to create an environment by which your team uh, could succeed, or you didn't clarify what success looked like, or you're allowing the wrong person to remain in a seat longer than they should. Either way, as a leader, it's always your fault. So I always go to, I go to somebody and I say, look, uh, as you know, because it's public, we all talk about this, we're missing in this area. You're uniquely responsible for making sure that we don't miss in this area. I'm operating under the assumption because I know that you're a good, solid person. I know that you care, wouldn't have hired you for this role if, if you weren't skilled and if you didn't care. So I'm going to operate on the assumption that, that, I'm, that I've done something wrong, that, that you know, I, that leadership, that this team has not put you in a position to succeed or that there's some external force at play here. If that's the case, what is it? Let's have a conversation about it. So I always go to them, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Now, hopefully what happens is they see the scorecard. They know they're responsible for it. They know that we're behind. They're reporting on it. Hopefully they come to me and they say, hey, just so you know, we're behind and here's what's going on. This is what we're doing to fix it. And you never need to do. There doesn't really need to be any corrective action, right? Um, but if I got to go to them and say, okay, obviously we're missing it. I'm going to assume, you know, and, and I give them an opportunity to say, well, yeah, we're, you know, I need more budget for this or I, I need extra help here. And then we can begin to have a conversation. But I always start by giving them the benefit of the doubt. And, and then we discuss, can we give them the things that they need to succeed? Nine times out of 10, we can. If we can, say, great. So if I get you these things, you're going to be able to succeed. You know, yep, I will. Okay, because if I give you these things and still not successful, then is it fair to say that maybe the problem isn't here, that, that maybe the problem is with, you know, is with you or something that you own and can, can control? Yep, that's fair. Okay, cool. And again, nine times out of 10, you give them what they need. Everything is fine. It gets resolved. Or what you find is some external forces at play that nobody has any control over. Maybe we need to adjust our targets. Maybe we need to change our strategy. But in those rare instances where you do give them everything they ask for and they still aren't succeeding, then you can go to them and say, hey, I gave you everything that, that you, know, you asked for. You're still not succeeding. I'm beginning to wonder if maybe we have a fit issue. So what we're going to do is we're going to put you on a performance improvement plan. That could be anywhere from 60, you know, 60 day or 90 day, depending on kind of their level. And you know, based on over the next 60, 90 days, I'm being micromanaging you. Or, you know, the leader will, I, me as the CEO, I wouldn't do this for every person. I would only do this for my direct reports, but we teach our leaders at the company to do this for their folks. And um, the goal really is to coach them to success. And if after 60, 90 days, things are where they need to be, then great. All is forgiven. All is forgotten. We, you know, we move on. And, uh, but if it's not, then you go to me and say, Hey, obviously this isn't working out. If it's somebody that we like, good person, in the wrong seat, we try to find out, is there another role within the company where we can shift them over to? If, if there isn't, or you know, if they're just not responding well to the additional coaching, then, then we exit that person from the company. So really long-winded answer, but it's important because if you want to build accountability into an organization, you must be clear on, this is what success is. This is who's responsible and unique, you know, uniquely accountable to making sure that these success metrics are hit. And then you need a process in place for 
really addressing matters when, when things are missed that still gives your team the benefit of the doubt because the reality is if they're missing, it's almost certainly your fault. Yeah. And I, Ryan is so insightful. I mean, I think that there's things that happen before you can hold somebody accountable that I know for myself and I'm sure for a lot of our listeners that we've failed to do on the front end, which means that that moment where we're trying to hold somebody accountable uh, is almost set up for failure in and of itself just by getting them to agree on what good is. I mean, I know I've had many occasions where, you know, I go off in a conference room and do strategic planning for a day and come out and set targets. Uh, and you know, you're like handing down to your team, like here are thou targets, right? <laughs> like these yeah, are what like you're working Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, yeah. Oh great. Like I need to have, you know, make 10 sales a week. Right. But that's not real. Like, you know, and they're like, well, where did I have buy-in in this? Like, is that even possible? Right. Or whatever. Right. And, um, you know, and, and so I think that's huge, right? Of just having that be more of a conversation. I mean, you can come in with some ideas, I think, but saying to your team, like, hey, what is, you know, what is good? What should our targets be? Is this unreasonable before it's even being set on the front end? And I imagine that creates uh, for, for you and your companies more buy-in on those numbers in the first place. Uh, and then I think at the moment of holding somebody to account, taking responsibility for that as the leader, like that's a shift. That's a huge shift. I know at least for myself of, you know, being in that moment and being like, Hey, you didn't hit your numbers, right? Like what's going on? What's wrong? Like, why, why, why didn't you do this? Right. Versus coming in and saying, you know, what am I doing? That's not helping you to achieve this. And what can I, you know, if, if we can help make some changes, what would that be? I think that, that, I just know in my head, based on what you've said, it just takes that pressure off the person and it probably moves it more about the problem and the outcome versus about like they did something wrong. Yeah. And, and it's more, so what your posture needs to be as a leader is not, you know, Ooh, I caught you. It's, mm. uh, it's more servant leadership, right? It, it's more, um, Hey, look, I want to help. We all want the same thing. You know, we all want these, you know, these numbers to be, to be great. Cause we literally, we, our scorecard has a, you know, red, yellow, green, scoring system and it, and it is public. It is, it is there on display. We go over it at our, you know, during our all hands meeting. And so if something is red, everybody knows that it's red. And that is an objective thing that everybody has agreed to. Now, if there is a reason, if something happens that was outside of everybody's control, then that context is given at the meeting. Everybody understands it. We don't need to talk about that. But if we're just considered like behind, 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 and it's just more and more and more excuses, then, then yeah, you've got to, as a leader, you need to have set up the structure ahead of time where you can hold somebody accountable in a way that builds trust and doesn't doesn't lose trust. And so what that may mean, if 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 you're sitting there and you're listening to this, you're thinking, okay, I wish I could do that, but I haven't done those things. You know, we haven't done an accountability chart where we've made it clear to people here are the three to five things you know you're uniquely responsible for. We don't have a scorecard that everybody has had a chance to, to have buy-in on and say like, yep, those are the metrics that should define success. And, you know, yep, that's what our target should be. If you haven't done that, then what you should do, which is what I had to do, is you should apologize to your team. I mean, mm-hmm. and I, that can be really scary to do as a leader. But I mean, I literally sent out an email to the entire organization. I said, you know, I owe this company, I, I owe everyone in this company, you know, an apology. I've failed at one of my critical roles of leadership. I haven't established you know, a clear vision strategy. And I haven't, I haven't worked with you to help to define what winning looks like. And so we're going to change that. And so we're, you know, here's what we're going to do. And, and I told him, we're going to go through the process of figuring this stuff out and you're going to have clarity and it's going to be a little bit painful, but you will have buy-in. The point that you made about not being kind of, you know, Moses coming down from Mount <laughs> Sinai with the, you know, with the stone tablets, that's really important 
you know, what I tell my team is it needs to look like a W. So you as a leader need to be able to cast a vision and, you know, generally say, this is where we're going. If, if you don't know that, you're not a leader. You're, you're, cause you're literally not leading. A, a, a leader says we're going over there and that's why people are following them. So you need to be able to say, this is where we're going. You know, this is, this is the vision for the company. You know, this is, this is our mission and what we want to accomplish. Now, in the beginning, it's very broad. In the beginning, it's, you know, there, there's no real specificity. And you say, okay, team, so this is what we're going to do. Now, what do you think? Uh, how do you think, what, 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 what actions, what projects, things do you believe that you need to complete to get us there, right? So that's where, if we think about, again, if you picture in your mind a W, that, that top left-hand side of the W, that's you, and then you send that vision down to the team. Now the team says these are the projects they think they kick that back up to you, you know, and, and to your leadership team. And you look at it and go, yeah, that seems reasonable, you know, based on, you know, these projects, this is what I think, you know, the, the metrics and the targets should be. And then you send it back down to them for general kind of buy-in and last thing. And they go, okay, you know, here's what we're going to agree to. And then that gets sent back up to you for final approval. So it does need to be this back and forth. And uh, I do believe that it's, that you cannot dictate to your team, you know, the, the specific actions and things that they need to take. Uh, certainly, if, if you're talking to folks who are also at a leadership level, you can't dictate to them, you know, this is what you need to do to get where we're going. Uh, you need to be able to say, this is where we need to go. How do we get there? Uh, mm. But it does need to be a conversation. You also don't abdicate all responsibility. It is a back and forth. So think about it like a W. Yes, I, I love that. I've got that written on my page. I'm like, as you're talking me through that, I was like, oh, got it. So there's built-in feedback around your strategy and to some level, the at least making sure that the vision is going to hold water with your team and kind of the direction of what they're capable of and and those measurables and the, the accountability uh, chart in general. So I love that W as kind of a framework. Speaking of vision, I've always been really impressed. I've, I've really admired what you have been able to do with your team and with the incredibly smart people you associate with, with holding a lot of different businesses, a lot of different ideas, like together in a vision. I think just, um, you know, being going to, to traffic and conversion and just seeing you and your team pop the hood on all the various different projects that you work on. I mean, I feel like when I, when I see all of that, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I could, I could hardly hold like one business in my focus, let alone like a dozen or whatever, you know, and, and how do you guys incorporate that into a vision and know, like, how do you make that a vision versus like shiny object syndrome? You know, like, oh my gosh, another idea. Like, let's go chase this, right? Because I almost see like you guys, I mean, I don't, don't take this the wrong way, but it's like, you've been able to successfully like pull in like many, many shiny objects into like a really comprehensive and growing business that's been incredibly successful. And that I don't think most other people, most other entrepreneurs in this world could even fathom being able to uh, have so many different projects and different initiatives that are successful. So I'm just kind of curious, like, how do you guys create that into a vision? How do you know, is this really our next big business, our next big play versus a shiny object? Yeah. So the reason I laugh is because it, I think, you know, you may be giving us a bit more credit than, <laughs> than, than we deserve. Cause it is, you know, very often again, it, it does kind of start off as being, it can sometimes be chasing shiny objects. And we do, we do get into that trap sometimes. I mean, we've gone into businesses and had different endeavors that were wholly, you know, 
ill-conceived and, and we've had to exit, you know, certain businesses at different times. Some of them, you know, not necessarily a, even profitable exits, just realizing like, wow, we made a huge mistake forever getting into this. But one of the things that, that we, that we try to build because we are a company that creates companies down at the company level. So digital marketer is going to have its own brand. It's going to have its own mess, uh, mission, its own vision. And that's going to be shared by the people who work at digital marketing. Now, when we go off and we launch another company, we're generally going to be doing that with a different, uh, a different team. But the way that we're structured is we have a team at the top, um, at, at the scale of the level that that team is there just to launch new companies. Now, this is not something that we've done forever. It's because I've, I've watched us do it the wrong way, you know, for a very long time. But I learned a lot from how, um, retail works when retail is scaling rapidly. They have store openers and they have store managers. So we have a very small team that's, you know, myself, Richard Lindner, a fairly small kind of creative design team. We're actually bringing on, you know, we had somebody who was on the, on the content side. So we'll work with somebody, you know, who's really there on the, on the product side of it's software. Maybe it's somebody on the dev, you know, a, a coder engineer type person, but we assemble a team to go and launch this new business. And once we've got traction, then the job of everybody who is on that launch team, their very next job is to hire their replacement and then build a team at that brand level uh, and then begin to allow that brand to establish its own culture, its own mission, its own vision. Because trying to build a vision that is shared across all these different companies is really, really difficult unless the vision is we are entrepreneurs who enjoy building businesses. And we think that it's fun. We believe that, you know, small business is truly the engine for economic growth. And we just, we just enjoy the alchemy of it all. We enjoy creating something from nothing. Uh, but like the vision of our holding company is very different than the vision for digital marketer, if that makes sense. So you've got to allow each company, uh, when you do this to establish its own mission division, or it does get incredibly, incredibly muddled. And, uh, and, and it is really difficult to get things off the ground, to get people excited and for people to even be able to explain, like, where do they work? You know, so it's, it's something that we've done really poorly over the years and it's something <laughs> that we've gotten better at in, uh, you know, in, in recent years, but it is not easy. And I'll tell you, we still mess up a lot. Uh, last year I decided we were going to go and launch this new property and I kind of pulled some folks over, you know, who are on the digital marketer team. I kind of pulled them over to help, you know, work on this thing on this side. And it just created a big mess, right? They were confused about who they worked for now. People who weren't involved in the project were wondering, well, why did they, you know, why did they get asked to work on this project? And I didn't. The people who did get asked to work on the project are wondering, why the heck am I having to do all the work I did before? Plus this new thing, does this mean that I'm going to be leaving digital marketer and leaving, you know, these people? Like, I don't understand. It was just a giant mess, right? I did that last year. Uh, after swearing multiple times that I would never do that again. So, um, so look, <laughs> you're, you're making me admit, feel a little, a little better today, Ryan. So thank oh, you. <laughs> golly, man. It, please don't, uh, ever look at anything that we're doing and, and say like, well, they clearly, uh, have, have it all figured out and execute with absolute precision. I'll tell you, we move fast, we make mistakes and we say, we're sorry. And, uh, I have no problem standing in front of my company and, and, uh, and saying here, here are mistakes that we made, you know, and, and some of you were negatively impacted by this. And I'm really, really sorry. We lost a really good leader uh, at our company last year who, you know, he, he, he had some other things that he wanted to go and do. And, you know, he 
he won't, he wouldn't say that he left for this reason, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he left because he just got pulled into a whole bunch of different directions, you know, at different times. And, um, so the work that we do isn't necessarily for everyone. Hey, what's up agency owners as someone that's built hundreds of websites for clients over the last 20 years, I know how important it is to have a content management system that is fast to set up and delivers my clients websites with the speed, the internet demands. If you're looking for a new CMS, I'd like to introduce you to a new platform called Zephyr, a content management system built for power users and agencies. Build websites faster, make clients happier. Find out more at ZephyrCMS.com and get one free site for life and a free theme set up valued at $500. That's ZephyrCMS.com. Now let's get back to our interview. Just hearing you talk about that brings me to you know something that I experienced as a as an agency owner, and also I know many of our listeners have experienced, which is you know they're an agency and they have the ability to create products and um, and serve a lot of different markets, but they can create their own stuff, right? And so there's always this like you know you're working on client stuff, and then you always have this kind of like moonlight dream of like oh man we could build our own app to do X Y Z, right? And so then you end yeah. up spinning up kind of this like product, or maybe it's a a line of services and and things like that. And just hearing you talk about you know, la- you know the 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 work it takes to like launch a business or launch a product versus like managing the product. And I think a lot of agency owners make a mistake in in there where they maybe launch a product or an idea, but then they don't make that transition to having a team that's accountable for it. And then you kind of start to like, like I know at least in our in our business we had this info product kind of side of the business, and then we had our client services part. And my team sometimes came in the morning and would be like, "Well, which you know, who am I working for today? Who's my boss today?" Right? They didn't know, and that created all sorts of problems. Now, ultimately, I, it led me to sell the agency and focus on the info product business and coaching business. But I think a lot of people try to hold that or make that both successful. Any words of wisdom for people that are trying to spin up their own product or spin up a service line where they have extremely limited resources, like this idea that you're talking about, where you guys have like a startup team and then a manager team, like that just sounds like an amazing thing to get to one day. But like, I think for most of our audience, they're kind of stuck between this chicken or egg. Like they don't have the resources for a startup team and they don't have the resources for a manager management team. You know, how do they make the decision of how to create that vision or that dream for themselves that might not be their core business? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, and it's something that we've tackled a number of times. So I can tell you, if you think about business, any business, I don't care if you're an agency, if you're manufacturing widgets, if you have an e-commerce company, uh, you know, a traditional brick and mortar services company, all businesses have three primary functions within that business, right? Uh, there is a revenue function, uh, well, I'll, I'll kind of go in order. There's a product function, right? So whoever is, you know, creating and delivering and fulfilling the product, right? There is a revenue function, which is sales and marketing. Uh, and then there's an ops function, operations functions. Now we're thinking about, you know, accounting, uh, finance, HR, legal, right? So those are the three, uh, those are the three silos in business. Now for us, uh, we centralize operations. So across all of our different companies, they all share the same accounting, finance, legal, HR company. That is centralized because that really doesn't, that it rarely is operations a direct function of kind of culture and mission and vision. It's, it, it, it's necessary. It needs to be there. It's important. I'm not diminishing its value, but that is one that absolutely can be centralized. The two that are incredibly difficult to centralize are, you know, at a, at a broader company level are product and marketing. Now, because 
if you've got a group that's trying to do marketing for a lot of different things, then invariably the one that's going to keep winning is the biggest company. We've experienced this a lot. We try to centralize marketing. All the focus is going to go for the big company. The, the new startup, the new idea, it's just going to be kind of feeding off the scraps of the table and it'll never really get big enough to self-sustain. Now, if there's any group that I, if, if there's any type of company I think is uniquely equipped to do this, however, it is an agency because agencies are used to having multiple clients and doing marketing for multiple clients. So the way that I would do it, if you want to, as an agency, so now I'm talking specifically to agencies. I think you, and this is why I think so many agencies wind up launching separate businesses is because, you know, they, by the very nature of their business, they know marketing and they know how to do marketing for multiple brands at the same time and how to balance that. So what I would say as an agency owner, if you want to start a side project, if you want to, whether it's software or an information type play, the first thing that you need to do is you need to have somebody who's going to be uniquely responsible for the product side of that. And it needs to be clear that they're going to go over and they're going to drive whatever that product is. And it needs to you know, that product needs to be at a minimum 60% of their time. Uh, ideally, it'd be 80% of their time. So while you may not be able to devote an entire team to it, you need to have one person that it's at least 60% of their time. You're saying your default setting. So let's, Bob, we're going to go launch this new product. We want you to help, you know, build it. We want you to help create it. Or maybe as the founder, if that's you, you know, you need to have somebody else do the things that you're doing that take up you know, more than half of your time so that you can focus on this. And you walk in and or that person walks in and their default setting is they're working on this product. If an emergency happens, they can get pulled away. They will, but it better be an emergency. And that person, it's like a startup. They need to be able to do everything. Now, as soon as there's something to sell, then what I would do is I would make that product a client of the agency. Okay, give them a friends and family rate, but charge them. Now, this sounds absurd at first because you're literally just kind of moving money from one pocket to another, but this is actually how we do it internally. All right. So when we go and launch a company, you know, we're going to actually charge that company for the use of these other things. What that does is it keeps everybody honest. Okay. It keeps it honest. You begin building a real, you know, PL. You don't have to charge what you would normally charge a client, uh, but you shouldn't charge nothing. And that's really important. So now when we're going and we're launching this, we're saying, okay, we're going to allocate to this company, you know, 60, 80% of whatever the salary, whatever the payroll is of this person who's uniquely responsible for it. Uh, we're also going to bill them. Our agency is going to bill them a certain amount. Like that needs to happen. And, and you need to be clear on the front end. How much are we willing to, you know, risk and, and invest to do this? And I, I've told people before, maybe you need to work for six months and build up and, you know, and build up a nest egg so that you can, you know, truly make an investment in this new thing. But don't go out and just hire a, you know, a comprehensive team from scratch. Um, that's not fair to the people that you'd hire because if it doesn't work out, you're going to have to fire them. But, uh, but at the same time, don't just operate it as a project if you intend on it being a business. Treat it like a business from day one. And if it's a business, then it's a client of your agency. I love that. That's, you know, I think it's, I've tried to hold that idea in my head, but actually doing it and actually creating invoices uh, and then making sure that you have that driver who's uniquely responsible for that product. You mentioned that uh, sales, I think maybe you had kind of bucketed marketing and sales, but marketing kind of has to need, needs those unique resources. Uh, can you share sales resources between these two different products or uh, companies? Yeah, as long, we found that sales can be shared as long as it is the same client. 
So as long as kind of your avatar, your persona is the same, uh, then you can uh, share sales, especially in the beginning when you're just testing the idea. I would recommend, however, creating unique pods within sales teams, right? So if currently you've got, you know, and I don't know how your sales org is structured, but let's say you kind of have a two, you know, a two part, you know, sales team where you've got uh, more of an, you know, MDR, SDR type role, somebody who's doing the qualifying, and then you've got the account executive who's actually closing the sale. And then maybe you've got an account manager who's, you know, going to be servicing, you know, that, that client after the fact. I, ideally, you would give this new project, this new initiative, its own pod, right? A dedicated pod, but you wouldn't do that until after you had proven it out. And, and it could afford to do it. In, in the beginning, you might just go to some folks and say, Hey, we want to test this new idea. We're going to drive some sales in. Here's how you do it. I understand it's going to distract a little bit from what you're doing, but just help us out. Yep. It's fine to share. Marketing is the one that's tough over time because, and you know this, like sales is fairly transactional. You know, a certain number of leads come in. That's going to take a certain amount of time. It's very measurable. Uh, marketing as a service has a way of bleeding time. Uh, there's a lot of things that need to be done, and there's a lot of work that needs to happen on the front end, and you know the results aren't going to show for a while. And so, yeah, I don't. Again, I don't have to tell a bunch of agency owners that. I mean, you know, so much of your work is front end loaded, uh, and then you know, once the ad campaigns are created and they're up and running, then it's good. You know, if you're on the on the search side, you know, once the strategy's been created and you got some initial content going, you know, you're you're feeling you know you're feeling pretty good. Um, once you've designed and built a website for somebody doing updates and things like that are, are easy. You know, you're, you're pretty good. So marketing is just so front end loaded that, that that's where it can be difficult to invest heavily in this thing that isn't really generating much revenue. And, and you don't know if it ever will. Uh, and so that's where I think, you know, you, you need to, for the sake of those people who are going to be doing the work, they need to see that as, Hey, this is another client. All right. So service this client and, and you need to, to take that thing and make it a bit more transactional. That's awesome. This has been super insightful, Ryan. I think just talking about um, how to think about uh, side projects and products in a little bit more smart way, how to effectively manage, hold your team accountable, servant leadership. There's been so much on this episode. I've got so many nuggets uh, for me personally. So I know when I'm getting value, I know our listeners are getting value. Uh, so this has been a lot of fun. Are you ready for our lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. What is the best advice you've ever received? <laughs> Go to bed angry. Uh, so when I first got uh, when I first got married to my wife, somebody said, you know, the common advice is don't go to bed angry. And they said, really, you should go to bed angry. If you're angry, then then go to bed. If you're angry, then separate. But make sure the person knows I'm not leaving forever. You know, I'll be back. This relationship means enough to me, though, that I need. We should pause right now. And that just this idea of pausing uh, and not feeling like. Uh, if we don't work this out right now, then that means the relationship is over is something that I brought into not just my marriage, but also, you know, friendships and also, you know, work relationships, being able to say to somebody, Hey, you know, I'm not happy with the way this thing went down, but you, you mean a lot to me. So I'm going to go in, I'm going to think about this and come back and let's talk about it. Uh, so just taking a moment to pause is probably the best advice that I've, that I've been given because so often in life, we wind up fighting about the fighting instead of uh, the real thing. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Uh, I keep a daily journal. Um, and actually, not even a journal. I keep a, a daily planner. And so what I do every Sunday is I kind of write down my big three for the week. And I make sure that that's aligned to kind of what my goals are for that quarter. And then I go into each day, kind of the, I plan out the day before, what are the big three things I want to accomplish that day that are going to move me forward on my big three for the week. 
And then what I do is I go through and I actually, uh, every day, I, I have a, a digital calendar where I, all my meetings go in, but I also document how I spent my day. So today, for example, in my planner, I'm going to write out, you know, from the time we started until the time we hang up, you know, that I was on this podcast. And so it, uh, it keeps me accountable and I can go back and I can, uh, I, I can see, you know, how did I spend my day? Was I being efficient? Um, was I uh, kind of in, in the flow at all? Was it, you know, a very choppy day? Uh, and when different leaders and executives who report to me, when they say, oh, I just don't have any time, I'm not getting stuff done. The very first thing I have them do is I have them start documenting their days. Keep a journal. How are you spending your days? Go through, come back to me and let's talk. And it's amazing how just tracking it, know you're tracking it, causes you to be more efficient. Can you share an internet resource or a tool or app that you use on a regular basis that you think our listeners would find valuable? I love Pocket, um, the Pocket app. You know, we I'm always running across uh, really cool, you know, articles and blog posts and things like that. And so, just to be able to to add them to Pocket, and then over the weekend, what I do instead of you know watching TV or sitting around, I go back and I you know read all of the things that I uh, that that I saved into Pocket. And if it's relevant and timely for a project that we're working on, then, you know, I'll make sure that it gets included. And if it isn't, then I make, you know, I make a note for a future project or things like that. So I'd say pocket. And what book would you recommend and why? Oh, that's so hard. It's like asking me which child <laughs> is my favorite. Um, Maybe a recent book. I will say, you know, a, a book that I go back and I read uh, every year is The Art of Profitability. So since we were talking about kind of business growth, just understanding how profit happens is really important. So the art of profitability is a is a phenomenal book. Uh, the Goal by Eliak Goldratt is a phenomenal book. And then uh, since I've already broken your thing of one, I'll go to, to a third. And I would say uh, The Wizard of Ads a trilogy by Roy H. Williams, who's one of my, my mentors. If you want a marketing book, that's probably one of the best marketing and advertising books that's ever been written. Uh, and it was a big deal in the 90s. And then for some reason, a lot of people forgot about it. So much wisdom in that book. A lot of it's about around radio advertising. But if you understand that uh, radio advertising is a, is a phenomenal parallel to digital advertising today, it needs to be short, concise. You know, you're dealing with a distracted audience. If you can learn to be great at radio, then you can be great at digital. And um, one of the best, Roy H. Williams, one of the best uh, radio ad men that has ever lived. And uh, so his book, uh, the Wizard of Ads is a phenomenal read. So there you go. There's three. Awesome. Well, we will link out to all three of those books on our show notes page. Listeners, if you're on the road or on a run, just check that out at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. You'll see Ryan's episode right there at the top. Click on that guy and you will see all sorts of great notes and takeaways and goodies, including these book recommendations. If Ryan is recommending the book, I would highly recommend reading it. I actually picked up the goal after hearing, uh, I think it was Vern Harnish talk a few years ago, Traffic and Conversion. That book sh sat on my shelf for a few years, I finally read it and I was like, oh my gosh, this was like, it, it's totally not related to like entrepreneurship, but it's totally about everything that I deal with in entrepreneurship and running a business on a day-to-day -day basis. So those books are, uh, I have not read the other two. I will make a plan to uh, make that happen as well as all of our listeners should do so. Ryan, how can our audience find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? Yeah. I mean, go to digitalmarketer.com. We have a, uh, a weekly newsletter that we put out. And so I definitely sign up, become an insider. It's totally free. And uh, maybe if you like our stuff, uh, you'll want to be a paid member. But uh, you know, lots of good free stuff out at uh, digitalmarketer.com. I also post pretty frequently on Twitter. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, 
that's me. Uh, Facebook is the team posting on my behalf and stuff like that. But uh, Twitter is uh, probably the best way to get my unfiltered thoughts. Uh, and also, if you want to reach out and communicate with me, just at me on Twitter. And um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I, I, I love Twitter. I love the, the brevity of it. Awesome. Well, we will link out to your uh, Twitter profile as well as digitalmarketer.com and give our listeners and subscribers a nudge to become a subscriber of your insider list as well. You guys published a ton of great stuff around marketing, a ton of the great stuff around agencies. So there's endless resources uh, with the digital marketer folks. Ryan, thanks so much for coming by the show today. Thanks so much for having me. All right, that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, if you want that free ebook on how to scale to multiple six and seven figures, all you got to do is DM me on Facebook the word gift at Brent Weaver, and I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver.